Monday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 204 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada, coming at you from New York City. What do I want to talk about this Monday? Well, I want to talk about um, the new player in the pinball world that keeps saying that I've got like a megaphone and sort of like that I'm not this professional media channel for pinball, but I want to just stop, call timeout, and sort of look at this whole thing from a bird's eye view. And look, all of us who are part of pinball, we're all in this little like microcosm community. We want pinball to be enjoyable. We want pinball to be fun. We want to get excitement and entertainment out of a pinball machine. And we want to be part of a community that is fun to be a part of. And look, for the most part, Pinball is totally that. It is a lot of fun to play pinball. It's a lot of fun to go to pinball shows. It's also fun to listen to all the great pinball content that is out there, okay? Now, not everything that goes on in the pinball world is always positive, and not every pinball personality out there in the world makes people feel good, all right? Now, look. I think over the past five years, we've all sort of rode the roller coaster, the ups and downs of the promise of new pinball companies coming into the pinball space uh, to either revolutionize or innovate or bring new pinball out into the world. And we've seen with mixed results how those ventures have turned out. You know, some have succeeded, some have failed. You know who they are. I don't have to go over them again with you right now. Now, look. I've asked Robert Mueller to come on the show to talk about Deep Root Pinball. It's okay. I I get that he didn't want to come on Canada's Pinball Podcast. Uh, I still, you know, the invitation is open. I don't know the man personally. I I don't, so I don't have any personal grudge against them. I am not uh, creating a scenario. He says that this podcast, he says that people have sort of made it a nightmare for them. And I want to say to Robert and his team over there, Deep Root, Nothing, we're not trying to create a nightmare for any pinball company, all right? We're not. We're just trying to call it like it is. And I think they understand the blowback that they got for working with John Papaduke. And all I want, all I want, and all I know you guys want, is I want results. I don't care what people say anymore. I think anyone who covers this hobby hears a lot of talk, a lot of intention, a lot of what the plans are. And we've seen more times than not those plans not work out. So that's all people are asking for. And I totally agree with Robert. If they can succeed at doing what they want to do, then the past will be the past. Absolutely. Absolutely that is the case. If Highway Pinball can get aliens out the door, then people will forget about the past. Same thing with Dutch Pinball. All people want, all they've ever wanted, is a pinball company to deliver what they promised, okay? Now, that being said, that being said, um, uh, so Robert went on the podcast. I want to I get the, the correct name of the podcast for you because I just finished listening to uh, it. It was like, like a 15-minute 15, interview. I think it's Electric Games podcast with, with, with Dennis, who's the host. A very good podcast. I, I, I think Dennis did an amazing job asking questions. Uh, you know, I found it funny, though, because at the end of the day, look, 
who has the most reach or influence in the pinball world and the pinball community? And it's, it's not Dennis's show. I mean, he, if you look at it, he gets about 250 listeners per episode. We get a thousand more people than that who tune in every week. So as much as I think certain people out there, and maybe Robert is saying this, maybe he's not directly saying this, sort of trying to question whether we're a positive, legitimate media channel within the pinball world, I think I'm here to tell him, and I think all of the people who listen to this show would agree, yes, we are. Like, this is where you go if you want to uh, talk about pinball to the most people. So from a marketing standpoint, you might want to avoid my show because you might not think I'll be fair and balanced, but I totally would, but it's okay. It's okay. So I listened to the entire interview and I wanted to just extract some of what Robert said and sort of break it up and let you hear it now. This is about like, this is about like an eight minutes, eight to nine minutes, the greatest hits, we'll call it, of the things that Robert was talking about. Um, Listen to this. Listen to everything he says, and then I'll just give some of my sort of point of view on, on, on what was talked about in the interview. But I think there's a lot. There was a lot of information. And we also just saw today that Zombie Yeti, Jeremy Packer, and Deep Root have come to a resolution for 11 titles. 11 titles that Jeremy worked on uh, with John, which is kind of crazy because if you think about it, People who paid money for Magic Girl Pinball and Raza, their money actually went to making designs for 11 titles. So it's pretty clear where all the J-pop money went. It, it, it went into this like scatterbrained process that all these little things were being worked on. Uh, but that's look, that's interesting. There's 11 unreleased games out there that might see the light of day. But without further ado, I want you guys to listen to... Uh, Robert, and then we'll come back in and, and, I'll, and I'll give some of my, my two cents on the whole thing. We know what we were getting into, so uh, I'm, we're very understanding that there's a lot of people out there in a very small industry here who have megaphones louder than they probably should. And, um, you know, they have definitely uh, made our life a nightmare. We need to stay enough to get Zidware customers to believe that we're going to follow through with our promises. Uh, but not too much that gives away a lot of our trade secrets, and there's a lot of those that we're trying to, to keep, uh, more so than any other pinball manufacturers, all of them put together, uh, times you know, probably a couple multiples. We at Deeper have had to have presented enough of a picture out there for them to understand that we're, we will be a major player. Um, other manufacturers, I'll just leave it at that, have uh, had lots of excuses as far as vendors or problems with parts and sourcing and things like that. Those are problems that every manufacturer has, and we know we will have those as well, but we think our quad assembly system will be able to um, make those, either minimize them or make them completely irrelevant, and um, we'll be able to do more with less space. So while we might not have the huge volume of space that Stern has now, um, we won't need that. We could probably do more with 25,000 square feet than Stern could do with 100,000. I mean, I could I could tell you we could manufacture 100, you know, a day. I could tell you we could next manufacture one a day. Um, I could give you numbers, but no one's going to believe them. And the only thing people are going to believe is when they can come and buy a, buy a deep root pinball machine, they're going to have it within two weeks, 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 two weeks of buying it. No waiting uh, or anything else. And that's going to make more of the difference. Um, and, and drive more people to, to buy from us than elsewhere. We have probably 25 to 30 patents in process, um, and it is extremely complicated. 
and we want to get what we're doing protected uh, and locked down. And unfortunately, even seeing the general look of the cabinet will give away a lot of what we're doing. And so um, it's very difficult for us prior to the five days of deep root to get a machine with that look out. So many issues with incomplete code, delayed code, uh, and you have these long, long, crazy long uh, development cycles where you've gone, you know, nine months to years and years and years trying to get, you know, this insane code rule set out. It's just, it's unheard of. And, and you know, I, I think that it's going to be hard for the other manufacturers to keep up with us uh, once we once we kind of let the public see what we're doing. And I think it'll be, a you know, basically a, a breath of fresh air. Not only is it not hard to create a rule set, I mean, there's a lot of things to kind of see that other people have done to kind of build on or that it plays directly to the certain theme that year that pinball is, that pin, specific pinball machine is actually, you know, playing on. But, I mean, I think from our standpoint is that we have been able to come up with some good rule sets ourselves. John Norris is just a rule set king. He's the one that kind of started the pin golf movement which was, was very uh, innovative. And so John Norris is just like constantly telling me, oh, this would be a great rule set. This, this would be a great thing. This would be a good thing. So, you know, John Norris has really spearheaded that. And I would say, even though a lot of people would, would disagree, I can tell you internally, J-Pop is, is very good with rule sets as well. We don't want to, it's not like we don't want to hear from anyone at Pinball. We don't want to start the foundation of what we're doing based upon people in that echo chamber. And we're going to be doing some, 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 you know, crazy things that I, w- I don't want to go into detail because I want to keep the excitement for the, the five days of Jupiter when we tell everyone how we're doing code. And, and I think it will, people will go, oh my gosh, that's such an amazing idea. Why hasn't anyone done that before? Um, and then they're going to go, wow, okay, so what do we do with this now? What, what, uh, what opportunities do we have now to work with code and rule sets? And, and where do we go? So it's going to really revolutionize how code is done and, and, and not only behind the scenes, uh, but also how it's used uh, by players and, and, and operators, for that matter, out in the field. If I was to tell you exactly what we were doing, it would blow everyone's minds. But yet again, it would be like, oh, my gosh, why hasn't any, everyone else been doing this all along? It makes so much sense. Um, I've offered uh, a couple of parts distributors. Uh, the uh, the exclusive opportunity to um, to warehouse and sell um, deep root parts because we don't want to be in the parts business. Um, those talks are still ongoing. Uh, I think that that's a much better option for us than having and and controlling all those parts in house um, for for either people that want to put those parts in their own homebrew project or they need replacement parts for our machines. Our warranties will be better than anyone else in the industry by multiples. So I will give a tease, and that is we're going to take a sledgehammer to a play field if it leaves the market, doesn't ship. Well, And I'll leave it at that. Okay. Every, every play field leaving our facility that's put into a game will have a sledgehammer taken to it. And if it leaves the market, it does not ship. Oh, well. That's the standard I've set. Okay. So that's what, it's your question, that's that's what we're going to keep to. All right. Well, it's, that's, that's, a, that's an easy standard to measure for people, so they'll, they'll have something to check against. I think it will be very difficult for the other manufacturers to compete with us. It will be very difficult 
or even someone like a Stern to compete with what we're doing. And it actually has been a, a major selling point to licensors, uh, who many of whom are no pinball, would like to do a pinball, uh, you know, title with their license, but are don't really like the price points that other manufacturers are at. So uh, that that's one been one of the easier things in, in, in the licensing talks is price points. We have not, and I'll just be honest, we have not had any distributors, well, maybe exception of one, uh, reach out to us, um, and we're perfectly fine with that. Uh, you know, I, I think that we've, we have reached out to some unconventional um, types of distribution uh, opportunities, and we're going to be um, continuing to, to do so. Um, to look at getting deeper out there to the masses. And it's really about, you know, family and, and having families have that nostalgic vintage American feel with a pinball machine in their house. Owner operators, I think, will just come as, as they are. Um, and, yeah, so I'll, I'll leave the, the answer to that. We, we started designing by ourselves. And what we found in working with J-Pop is he's just, I, I, think, I think there's a... a we're, we live in a very caustic environment these days where I think things are taken to the ends of the spectrums. Um, and so while there's animosity about J-Pop, J-Pop's the guy that I, I have a friendship with. I hug him when he comes. I hug him when he goes away. I, I love, uh, he goes back up to Illinois. I, I, I love his family. I really don't see John bringing on John as a challenge. Now, Dealing with the big megaphones out there, especially with people who have no um, no interest whatsoever in the Zidware mess, that's the difference with us. It doesn't matter how many people hate us because of J-Pop or want to, with their you know megaphones in a small industry here, uh, try to take us down because of that. We've made our decision. We're sticking with the decision. We're going to make this happen, and there's nothing they can do about it other than just to be shown for what they are at the end of the day. Well, I've got several designers now uh, that are being paid a lot of money. Uh, there are other podcasts out there um, that that constantly talk about, you know, promising to come on and never came on or we're too scared to come on. I, really, I don't think it has anything to do with that. What I really like about you and Tony is that y'all are very fair, you're very thorough, and I'm, I'm personally very appreciative of that because some, some of these podcasts and, and you know, online sources, um, they, they act like media and very professional and then others don't. And so I'm very appreciate, appreciative for the hard work that you put in that's, that's, uh, that's unpaid and probably well-deserved. And it was well-deserved praise because I think Dennis did a great job with the interview. I think he asked a lot of the questions that were on everyone's mind. And look, I think we're all at the same point now where I just want to see the results, okay? I, and I also want to give Robert some advice because I do think he's sort of, for, for some unknown reason, sort of, he's like creating the NWO. Remember when Hulk Hogan went bad and was like, we're the bad guys in, in, in wrestling? It's, it's almost like he wants to be in this position of being like the evil empire pinball company that everyone's betting against and he's going to prove wrong, right? Like they're constructing the death star of pinball machines that's going to blow Endor's sky high. And I, I, just, I just really, after hearing all of it, after hearing them talk, after hearing like the conversation on Pinside, 
I kind of am just left feeling like this isn't fun. Like this isn't how it should be. This isn't the way you start a pinball company. And that sort of feeling that it's kind of like them versus us. And they almost want it that way. We're like, we're here. We're going to prove everybody wrong. We're going to prove not just like the skeptics. We're also going to prove that every other pinball manufacturer out there is doing it wrong. Everything we're going to do is just going to blow people away. And everyone's going to say, why didn't we think of that? And everyone's going to, you know, we can build anywhere from 100 games a day. You know, if I told you the number, you wouldn't believe it. We're going to figure out a way to do code and, and rule sets that no one else has ever figured out. It's just... It's just too much for me to process that these all all people ever wanted was just a working magic girl. It, it didn't need to come with all of these lofty promises. It didn't need to come at the expense of talking shit about other manufacturers. It didn't need to come with, you know, we're the bad guys and you guys, are, you're going to eat crow Canada when you see what we're really doing. It didn't need to come with all of that. All people ever wanted was pinball machines that looked great were great quality, were fun to play, and they just wanted John's games that worked. That's all they wanted. Now, the part that Robert's missing, he's missing some of the forest through the trees, though. And, and so the people, the reason why people went in on Zidware games is they paid a lot of money for a very limited production J-pop game. And if he removes the limited production quality that's attached to Magic Girl and Raza, what, he's going to be in an even new sticky, icky situation because people who paid the money aren't going to accept the fact that these games are now going to be made in mass volume. So I don't know if, what they're going to do there. Uh, he also, it just, you know, there's, there's other things going on behind the scene when it comes to the IP and the Zidware games that he's probably not even aware of. Uh, he probably should ask John how the IP transfer, what, what was in that contract with American Pinball and, and, and Pintasia and what the terms and conditions were that John had to meet for that IP to transfer over because uh, those terms were not met anyway. But I don't even care anymore. I don't care. I don't care about the legalities. I don't care about all the legal speak. I don't care about the threats that if you poo-poo us on a podcast, then your claim goes away. I, I'm just calling for Robert to just stop. Stop with this approach of me versus you, of us versus the community. It's just not fun. It's just not going to build a consumer base for him. It's not going to build goodwill. Ironically, that's what they're trying to call the, the plans with the Zidware customers. It just, just do your job, man. Just do it. I, I'm, I'm, I, as I said, I will happily be the first person that buys a deep root machine. All right? it's, and, and again, like I just think the language and the strident, sort of arrogant, sort of overly confident terminology they're throwing out, it just isn't necessary. See, I'd be more excited if he said, hey, we're, we're, we're working on a lot of really fun stuff. We're approaching this a little bit differently. I think everyone's going to be very satisfied with what they see. I don't want to say anything more until we're ready to show the world what we're working on, and we're going to go away, and we're going to come back out sometime next year to show you the fruits of our labor. We love pinball. We love what everyone else is bringing to pinball, but we're going to go about it a little bit differently, okay? But he didn't say that. He didn't come out like that. 
It is, I mean, he's literally saying that he thinks it's going to be very hard for Stern Pinball with 30 plus years experience making pinball machines, 30 plus years of setting up a distribution model, uh, of working with parts and vendors, 30 plus years of designing and coding, everything that Stern knows institutionally, Deep Root Pinball, who has never made a single game ever, is now saying that they think it's going to be very hard for Stern to compete with them. And that's just, that's just it. That's, I, I kind of just, I hear comments like that, and I, did, and I purposely chopped up the two weeks, because like, Robert, the easiest piece of advice you can get from this podcast is never say the word two weeks. Never. Never, just never say it. It's that word is is the ultimate cardinal sin. The term two weeks of when you're promising someone something, you can't say it, and we know why. Thanks to Mr. Andrew Highway. All right, that's deep root. Take it or leave it. I think we're now in a long waiting game. All right, I, I look forward to seeing these guys at TPF. Again, there's no bad feelings. I mean, he can say that that I have a megaphone that I'm creating a nightmare. I think I'm. I think you guys listen to this podcast not because I create nightmares for people who love pinball. It's because I think I, I try to get at some sort of truth of what's going on in this hobby. All right, what else is going on in the news? There's not too much. There's not too much. I'll say what I loved is I actually when I, on the last podcast and I said, hey guys, like email me. I got a lot more emails, so I want to go down and read more of your feedback to the show. And again, I. I I'm going to just go down the list. I actually like reading these emails for the first time when I record versus taking notes. Um, so let's start off. I got an email from Dave Sanders over at Highway Pinball about uh, pinball marketing is the subject head. And Dave said, I think one of the other major differences between 90s pinball and now as far as this concept of magic goes is not only was 90s pinball not made for collectors to buy, but neither was there any marketing or advanced publicity in that area towards anyone outside of the amusement industry. A player would see a new machine without any preconceived notions of what said machine was about. Consequently, the goal wasn't so much to give people what they want, but what they didn't know they actually wanted. All right. On a related note, it wasn't until Gary Stern was the last person left making pinball that the notion of every pinball needed to be licensed took root. Arguably, this is only because A, nobody else was around to disprove it, and B, the original games from the early years of Data East in the late 80s uh, didn't have the means of living up to the creative brainstorms that Williams had to achieve their games. All right. Well, Dave, look, uh, I, I do think that uh, you raise a good point. I would say that I think one of the big issues with new pinball now is that we know about these machines so far in advance that by the time the games come out, it's really hard to keep the marketing hype alive. Right? What I loved about the 90s arcades in general, just life in general, is we didn't exhaust stuff to the point that by the time we actually went to the concert, we already saw the concert on YouTube. Right? We know the whole set list. When we walked into an arcade, we saw a new machine or a new pinball machine for the first time. We're like, wow, that's new. I'm going to jump on it. The, the ability to create serendipitous moments of surprise and delight is so hard now because of leaks, because of rumors, because of spoilers, and even because of manufacturers' inability to just shut up until the game is ready. And I think this desire to build early hype always backfires on pinball manufacturers. I've never seen an example where it actually helped to go out too early on a pinball machine. But Dave, thank you for listening to the show. I really appreciate the note. 
All right, I got this email from Christian, and I got a lot of people to link to me about this whole this whole thing. the The subject was Supreme Pinball by Stern. What do you think of Stern going in collaboration with the brand Supreme for Pinball Machine? Will it sell well and to a new pinball target? All right, and I saw a lot of people chiming in about how stupid this was, how the world of Supreme and high end fashion doesn't have any business being with pinball. I want to tackle this from multiple angles. The first angle is this, and I've been to pinball shows all over the country. I've met many of you at pinball shows, and I have to say, without a doubt, the pinball community probably has the worst fashion sense on the planet, okay? I I know that you guys don't like fashion, and that's okay. It's okay. We, We don't go to pinball shows to... To, 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 with, our, with our sartorial hats on. We, we literally go there just to relax and have fun. But look, there's no denying the fact that the fashion industry is a big industry and that fashion also uh, understands creating collectible items that people go after. It's very similar to pinball in, in terms of like people, the collector mentality. Like People will collect stuff that Supreme makes. And I've always found Supreme to be a little strange in the sense that people will pay like, hundreds of dollars to buy a brick, just a red brick that has the word Supreme on it. Um, But they have done something very revolutionary in the fashion world, and they've basically just created a brand that people collect the items with the name Supreme on it. I don't get it. I don't personally place value on that. But here's the thing. If you want to expand pinball to a new market or just show people that pinball is still very relevant in 2018, then a partnership with Supreme is freaking genius. And I think it's really smart that Stern is doing this. It's not for you, right? So they might sell this pinball machine for $40,000. I don't know. Someone threw out a dumb number like that. But in the end of the day, the end of the day, uh, Supreme making one of their most sought after exclusive items or most expensive item of all time from Supreme. If that item is a pinball machine, then I wouldn't cry or complain about it. I actually think it's really smart marketing and I think it gets the word out there to a broader audience. And again, I think it puts pinball uh, on center stage within a whole other area out there. Just to show you guys like how fashion is so lucrative. The Gucci store on Fifth Avenue alone, the salesman told me this, they made $80 million in one year from just that location. That's probably more profit than all pinball companies combined. All right. I got an email from, uh, let's see, let's see, I'm going down my list from Gregor Weisberger. He said, hey, Chris, congratulations to your demon. Looks awesome. Since you're into fast cars and already not opposed to automatics anymore, would you consider buying the next generation Tesla Roadster that will get you from 0 to 16 under 2 seconds? Or are electric cars out of the question? Thanks, Gregor. Well, Gregor, this is a pinball podcast where I occasionally talk about my car, but not really. Um, I would never get a Tesla over an American V8 gas engine, smog-inducing, roaring, badass car like a Dodge Demon. I, I think Teslas are great, but they're just not for me. I, I like the visceral um, elements of American muscle cars. It'd be like playing a pinball machine with no sound. That's what electric cars feel like to me. The experience is there. The sensation of playing pinball would be there, but it's just not the same. 
All right, I got an email from Damien8. He said, hey, Kaneda, I'm a recent follower to your show, and while listening to your episode 200 podcast, I had an idea I wanted to bring to your attention. As you may have heard, one major issue that Chicago Gaming has been having with their remakes is clear coat chipping. It tends to happen on every exposed edge of the game. And according to CGC, it has a lot to do with EPA standards that have changed the materials they use. I own both MMR and Attack from Mars Remake, and I have witnessed the chipping firsthand. If you look on Pinside, there there are countless accounts of people with this issue, and certainly many more to come as people play. I figured I'd bring it to your attention as you have the voice that carries in this hobby, and it might be what we need to make these manufacturers listen. When you, when you post your concerns on Pinside, you, you get a shockingly unhelpful reply that are usually from others, owners, just telling you to suck it up and play your game. Definitely not the approach we should be taking. Um, let me know what you think. So, Damien, look, I, I, I've, I've been hearing about these issues, and, and I think, first of all, thank you for writing in. And I do think that chipping playfields is inexcusable. It is absolutely inexcusable because there is no reason why we had playfields that were rock solid for decades and all of a sudden when the when the marketplace became about collectors that playfields now have been plagued by chipping, by ghosted inserts. Uh, you know, it's 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 inexcusable. You, as a manufacturer, the onus is on you to find a way to manufacture something that will hold up to the demands and the standards set by your buyer, by the collector's market. And I and I and I always scratch my head. A few things, not just that playfields might chip. I I don't understand. While why all new games don't come with mylar and playfield protectors put in the areas of the game that are prone to chip. To me, that continues to be the biggest head scratching. What the f are you doing? You're going to sell someone a seven to nine thousand dollar machine, and you can't include a fifty dollar worth of playfield protectors that will keep your buyer happy. And it just goes to show that either these companies are ignorant to the to the possible quality issues with playfields these days, or they just don't care. They're just trying to get the games out as fast as possible. But it blows my mind. It's like Andrew Highway knew that the area around the LCD screen would chip and there needed to be Mylar there, and they didn't put Mylar down. And so Jersey Jack went through the same thing when Dialed In was having all those issues with, with like the SIM card scoop. Uh, they had to hurriedly get a fix going. But again, all the testing in the world should have shown them that that area is, is prone to chip. Now, I don't understand why we can't get clear coat that doesn't chip. I, I, I don't. I, I don't. I mean, I don't buy the excuses. I just don't. So I, I, if I bought a machine and the clear coat chipped, I would be so pissed off. Now, I'll say this. I'll say this. The reason why on day one, before I flipped a single ball on Batman, I put a playfield protector in the game is exactly the reason that you were talking about is there is no peace of mind in pinball if you have to, if you're a collector if you have to worry about your playfield denigrating and I, I I also think every pinball manufacturer should work with the guys over there in Germany to make playfield protectors available to order from the factory so the game can arrive on day one without a single dimple or chip playfield or scratch on the clear coat covered nicely by the playfield protector. I, I just think that's the way it should be. And it's so much easier to install that at the factory. It's a pain in the ass to install those things and having to you know tear the playfield apart when you get a brand new game. All right? 
So thank you for that email. I got an email from Dan Donnell. He said, hi, Chris. After watching the Twippies, I decided to give your podcast a shot. And holy shit, it is great. Thanks, Dan, for the, for the note. I had no idea about all the drama, the pinball industry, and I appreciate you bringing it to the forefront so audaciously. I was wondering if you have ever considered going or invited to any pinball expos to share your wealth of knowledge and opinions on the current state of the pinball industry. I feel that there are many others like me that are blindly enjoying this hobby and uninformed about everything behind the play field. Keep doing what you're doing. Love the Brenda episodes. My wife can definitely relate to her. Your news, your news, wait, you said something about subscriber Dan. P.S. F. Hilton, whoever he is, (laughs) whatever. Hilton's not that bad, Dan. He's not that bad. Well, Dan, thank you for the email and thank you for listening to the show. What do you think, guys? Should I... Should I have like a seminar at, at, at one of the pinball expos? It would probably be like two people in the audience who would listen to me. But like I go to most, I'm going to go to TPF, I think. I'm, I usually go to Allentown. Uh, I'll probably be at the New York tournament that takes place uh, coming up in a few months. Uh, I love going to pinball shows. I, you know, when I go to the shows, people usually recognize me for the most part who listen to the show and, and, and say they enjoy the show. Uh, but it would be fun to host a seminar or a panel discussion uh, with, with Canada maybe as the MC of that panel discussion. Uh, so look, I, I think this though is my best medium. I, I think the podcast and, and my voice here works the best, but I would happily, uh, if anyone out there at a show wants to fly me there as a special guest to do to moderate or, or be uh, involved in, in, in your show in any way, I'll, I'll consider it. I'll consider it. I, I, you know, we'll see. Uh, all right. I got an email from It says, Spooky Rumors was the headline from Jeff S. He said, listen to your recent Rumors podcast and heard you mention a departure at Spooky. There are four potential candidates. Luke, who runs manufacturing, but I don't think he'd ever be disloyal. Longhorn, who designs the boards, but I don't think he'd find another opportunity at this one. Falzma, the programmer. Um, and he is young and inexperienced, so it wouldn't be him. Heck, the game designer, and he could find himself in a disagreement and would likely go his own way over differences. He also programs his own game, so while a big loss, he has enough context to get his design made elsewhere. So Heck is my final guess by process of elimination. So what have you heard about uh, and how reliable is your story? Uh, P.S. Found your first 50 podcasts unbearable. But they have improved a lot since, and I look forward to new episodes each week. Keep on keeping them honest. Well, Jeff, thank you. I apologize in, you know, in, in, um, for making you suffer through the first 50 podcasts. I, 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 unbearable uh, it, it is, is harsh. Man, they weren't that bad. You want to hear unbearable, there's a whole list of like two to three hour podcast out there that you could either listen to a podcast or watch a Lord of the Rings movie in the same amount of time. Uh, But look, those are all good guesses. Uh, I think your guess is a good one. I'll just leave it at that. All right. We're going to go on to, um, let's see, I got an email from Michael Chalice. He said, Dear Kaneda, or the brash, carefree motorcycle gang leader who is trying to help others out. Wow, my first email to you, and it makes it on the podcast. I don't know if that was good or if the pickings were slim, but it has inspired me to write another, with no illusions of hearing another one read. Okay, here are some of the latest, here are some thoughts on, the, on my last podcast. First, while I think you are absolutely right about J-pop and Deep Root, in making your argument, you explain why they have assembled the Expendables. I have been in education for 28 years as a teacher, 
and or administrator working with some really smart kids who go onto some of the most selected colleges in the US. In working with them, you quickly see that some of those with the highest IQs, those that could be labeled genius, are going to struggle in the real world because they can't get anything done. I think that is J-pop. His genius as a pinball designer may be at a different level than others in the industry, but if he can't get the job done and the machines don't work, i.e. Magic Girl, what value is he? Knowing this, DeepRoot has hired the Expendables to take J-pop designs and make them work. At least I think that is the plan. All right, so let me stop there because I agree. I agree that nobody would have any faith in DeepRoot Pinball if they, if they synced up with J-pop and didn't have an army of people around him and surrounding him that they felt confidently could help make these games work. And I do think it gives people confidence that it isn't just John tinkering. I'll tell you who made the real mistake, and that was Davil over at American Pinball. See, Davil, J-Pop was allowed on Davil's dime to sit at American Pinball for a year and a half and just do the same shit he did for four years at Zidware. Deep Root is not that, and it is not the same as what American Pinball did. And so I think that surrounding him with those who can do is, is a good idea. Now, again, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens there. All right. He said, second, the latest episode on which you read my email and addressed my question about the growing pinball market, um, make great games. Of course, you have to make great games and company and any company that wants to be successful needs to either make a great product or convince the consumer that the product is something they need to need great or not but then i thought more about the profound statement after listening to the rest of the podcast and came away with these thoughts one making great games will only sell more games to those who already buy them so instead of selling 5,000 games to 10,000 buyers you sell 9,000 but just making great games is not going to have a great effect on the number of players doesn't the pinball industry need more players if it hopes to make it as an industry Number two, he says, great games of the 90s didn't save the industry then. How will it save it now? Number three, currently there are no great games. Uh, all right. So let me, let, me, let, me, let me tackle those three points that, that you raised, Michael. So number one, look, pinball market is not growing significantly. It never will. I, I think, I, I, but that doesn't mean that the pinball industry will ever completely go away. As long as there are enough buyers out there to allow the companies in business to make a profit, this industry could remain for a very long time. But again, the long-term prospects for this industry are not good. It, it will go the way of other toys from yesteryears. There is no, there will be no market for it. Uh, the world of virtual reality and augmented reality and wearable tech is going to transform the world like nothing has ever before. It's going to be a kind of a sad world where people are just going to be isolated and staring at screens that they wear on their heads. It's going to be sad, but we're, we're seeing the beginnings of it now, right? We're seeing the origins of that world. Go out in public, go anywhere, and look at us like robots staring at our phones. Every moment of pause, people whip out their phones and immediately want to avoid human interaction and stare at a screen. We are really headed in the wrong direction. It, it's sad. I see it every day in the subway, every day in, in the elevator. Really, you just got into an elevator. You can't just like look around you or maybe make a joke like, 
people used to do in elevators, you know, break the ice. Now it's like, oh, I'm on my phone, so don't bother me. It's lame. Number two, great games of the 90s didn't save the industry then. How will it save it now? Well, look, the arcades got slaughtered because of something called the home console. Why would you need to go to the arcade to play games when you could play from your couch? Again, human beings over time have shown that convenience uh, overrides uh, the desire to go out there because once we leave the den of comfort, something could go wrong. It's like instilled in our DNA that we want to be able to stay comfortably in our homes and, and because out in the world, random dangerous shit happens to us. All right, number three, currently there are no great games. I, I don't agree with this. There are no great games. <laughs> I think people are having a lot of fun playing pinball. I think there are a lot of great new games. If you're not finding enjoyment in any of the current new games out there, I, I would think that you might struggle to ever enjoy pinball. I would recommend jumping on a new Batman. I wouldn't recommend jumping on a, you know, a Tron. I would recommend jumping on a Dialed In. I would recommend you know, jumping on a Houdini. I think there's a lot of fun pinball machine out there. And again, they might not be as good as the games from the 90s, but there are definitely many elements of these games that are far better than the games of the 90s. All right, then he wrote, don't panic, deep root, deep thought. Maybe the answer seems meaningless because the beings who instructed it never actually knew what the question was. Um... I don't know what that means. It's just a deep thought. All right. (laughs) My best above it. All right, Mike, thank you for writing in. I appreciate it. Some good things though, but man, there is some good pinball out there. Uh, Let's see. I got an email from, I think that, I think that might be it because I think I answered all of the new stuff. Maybe this one is new. Did I talk about I might be in the, this guy writes, this is Jeff, I might be in the minority, but I respectfully disagree that Oktoberfest is a bad license choice. If done right, it would be the, an awesome opportunity to bring some humor back to pinball. Think medieval madness. I feel like there is some fun way to drink beers with shots and make flippers weaker or the screen blurrier or something. Second, I've been seeing more and more breweries and beer bars putting in pinball. That theme would be a perfect fit for their crowd. Last, I think alcohol-oriented themes could make the bro and college crowd pump some quarters into the machine. And obviously, us pinheads will play regardless of, of theme as long as the game has great code. Also, a quick thought on tight shots. I am personally a fan of easier shots so beginner players can get into it, but add another level of difficulty with combos or multipliers to give good players more depth to work with. I think a game like Stern Star Trek finds a great balance of easy shots with enough meat to chew on for repeated plays. Anyways, I just got into your podcast and I've been enjoying it so far. Cheers, Jeff. Well, Jeff, Jeff Dill, thank you. Thank you for the email, the vote of confidence on Oktoberfest. Here's the thing. Nobody has done this. All right, all 1,200 of you who listen to this show, nobody has gone on to Pinside and started the thread that I asked, which leads me to believe I have absolutely zero influence in this hobby. Will somebody please put up the thread? Which would you rather buy, Oktoberfest or Big Trouble in Little China? Let's start there. I asked Ryan C. over at Head to Head Pinball Podcast. That's not even... That's I just did like an Australian accent where I sounded Irish. Um... I asked Ryan to do it, and he wouldn't do it. Ryan, I'm calling you out on the show. You're such a wimp. You know I don't have a Pinside account. Why wouldn't you do it? I think Ryan doesn't want to do it because he's afraid that he knows that Canada asked him to do it, and if he does it, it makes it look like he he bowed down to the wishes of a competitive podcast. But we're not co- competitors, bro. Just put it up. 
put it up. Somebody put it up there. All right. Whoever uploads that thread, I will send you a special Canada's Pinball Podcast t-shirt. How about that? All right. I'm going to have to start bribing you guys. But let me get back to the email here. I still think Oktoberfest is a piss poor theme. If Again, I'll go on the record. Whoever makes this pinball machine is going to go out of business. It's Canada versus Oktoberfest. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't think it's a good pinball theme. I, I think an original IP theme based on beer drinking. Come on. Is that the most original we can get? Is that the most original we can get? It wouldn't sell. It would not sell. All right. And it, like, just because I go into a bar doesn't mean I want a pinball machine about bars. I, I, it, it's just not that that's not what the crowd wants. All right. And also when you're in a bar playing pinball, you can't even like hear anything. I think to me, it's like, it's better to have a theme where you already know what's going on. Like, oh, look, I got to shoot the TIE fighter on a spring. I get that. All right, guys, this has been episode 204 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Thank you. Keep the listener feedback coming. I might, I might get too many where I can't read one, every, you know, all them every episode, but I, I will get to it. I want to say in closing this, I want to say in closing this, there is no bad blood between this podcast. Um, I'm not... I'm not revengeful. I'm not spiteful. I'm not on a mission to create a nightmare scenario for Deep Root Pinball or anyone over there. Um, All I want to do is see people live up to their word. And if you have something exciting brewing in your pinball company, by all means, God bless you. Go do it. No one's stopping you. It's your money, your company, your team. You can go do whatever you want. Um, But I'll say that the rabbit hole the rabbit hole and the, and the pain that John caused this hobby, it doesn't just go away. It doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just, you know, it, 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 you don't just get to erase it overnight. And I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, Robert sees the world through the lens of John more than he does through the lens of people who got burned. Because as much as Robert says, like I've talked to Zidware owners behind the scenes and they're all gung-ho, I would also say that I've talked to Zidware owners that don't feel that way, that don't feel like they want to give up their lawsuit. In fact, I'm hearing the lawsuit by the plaintiffs is coming towards uh, the finish line and it's looking very good for the plaintiffs. So we'll see how this all pans out. But in the end, it just doesn't feel very fun. I, I don't think the way they're positioning the company is positive. I don't think they're winning people over. And again, if I could just give them some advice, it's that less is more. You've said enough already. It's time to now go away and return to us with the results of all of these promises. And when you do, this podcast and others like it will happily be very fair and we will congratulate you if you are able to do the things you say you are going to do. There is nothing personal, Robert. Like I, I, I again, like I, I don't know you. You don't know me. Uh, but we, you don't. We don't need to name call. Like you don't need to say that this podcast isn't a legitimate pin side or, or sorry, pinball media channel. It is. It, there's a reason why we get all these listeners, Robert. It's not because uh, um, I have a megaphone. If I was saying stuff people didn't agree with, people wouldn't listen. So your your main audience in the pinball hobby is this one. So again, when you're ready, let's come on the show and let's talk. And I think we'll have a good conversation. But again, my advice is let's wait till you're ready. All right. Everyone out there, have a great week. We'll be back with more pinball-related conversation real soon. Hey,